Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode I'm going to be talking to you about iron deficiency anemia. And if you want to follow along with written notes on the topic, you can follow along at zerodefinals.com slash iron deficiency anemia or in the hematology section of the Zero to Finals medicine book. So let's get straight into it. The bone marrow requires iron in order to produce hemoglobin. And remember that hemoglobin is an essential molecule inside red blood cells that carries oxygen in the blood to the tissues of the body. There are several scenarios where iron stores can be used up and the patient can become iron deficient and struggle to create hemoglobin because of the iron deficiency. These scenarios could be insufficient dietary iron, increased iron requirements, for example, in pregnancy, when iron is being lost, for example, slow bleeding from a colon cancer, and where there's inadequate iron absorption in the GI tract. Now, iron is mainly absorbed in the duodenum and the jejunum, and it requires acid from the stomach to keep the iron in its soluble form which is ferrous, or Fe2+. When the acid level drops, it changes into the insoluble form, which is ferric, which is Fe3+. Therefore, medications that reduce the stomach acid, such as proton pump inhibitors, remember two key examples are lansoprazole and omeprazole, can interfere with the iron absorption and lead to iron deficiency. Conditions that result in inflammation of the duodenum or the jejunum, like celiac disease or Crohn's disease, can also cause inadequate iron absorption. So what are the most common causes? Well, blood loss is the most common cause in adults. And this could be from heavy menstrual periods or a chronic blood loss from a GI source such as a gastrointestinal cancer. Dietary insufficiency is the most common cause in growing children as they have slightly higher iron requirements and it's easy for them not to meet these requirements. Poor iron absorption and increased requirements in pregnancy are also common causes. So talking a little bit more about the most common cause in adults being blood loss, in menstruating women, particularly women with heavy periods, there's a clear source of blood loss. In women that are not menstruating, for example after a hysterectomy or after the menopause, or in men who don't bleed regularly every month, the most common source of blood loss is the gastrointestinal tract. It's really important to be suspicious of a gastrointestinal cancer in patients who have unexplained iron deficiency anemia. That being said, esophagitis and gastritis or inflammation of the esophagus and the stomach are the most common causes of GI tract bleeding. So having unexplained iron deficiency does not automatically mean there's a gastrointestinal cancer as it's more likely there's esophagitis and gastritis. However, we need to be suspicious and investigate urgently. Inflammatory bowel disease, such as Crohn's and ulcerative colitis, also need to be considered as there will be some blood loss from the inflammation in the bowel. Probably the most important topic in discussing iron deficiency anemia is understanding the tests for iron deficiency. And in order to understand that, we need to understand some basic concepts about how iron is transferred around the body. Iron travels around the blood as ferric ions, or Fe3+. 
and they're bound to a carrier protein that's called transferrin. Total iron binding capacity basically means the total space on the transferrin molecule for the iron to bind. Therefore, total iron binding capacity is directly related to the amount of transferrin in the blood. If you measure iron in the blood and then measure the total iron binding capacity of that blood, you can calculate the proportion of the transferrin molecules that are bound to iron. And this is called transferrin saturation and is expressed as a percentage. So the formula is transferrin saturation equals serum iron divided by the total iron binding capacity. So essentially to simplify that, iron binds to transferrin and however much iron is bound to the transferrin is called the transferrin saturation and the total amount of transferrin that is available for iron to bind to is called the total iron binding capacity. Ferritin is the form that iron takes when it's deposited and stored in cells. Extra ferritin is released from cells when there's inflammation such as with infection or cancer. So if ferritin in the blood is low, it's highly suggestive of iron deficiency. However, if the ferritin is high, it's difficult to interpret whether this is due to inflammation or due to iron overload in a condition called hemochromatosis. A patient with a normal ferritin can still have iron deficiency anemia, particularly if they have reasons to have a raised ferritin such as infection. The serum iron varies significantly throughout the day with higher levels in the morning and higher levels after eating iron-containing meals. So serum iron on its own is not a very useful measure because it could be high after somebody's eaten a high iron-containing meal and it could be low just due to the normal fluctuations during the day. Total iron binding capacity can be used as a marker for how much transferrin is in the blood. It's an easier test to perform than measuring the transferrin directly and both markers more or less represent each other. So both the total iron binding capacity and the transferrin levels increase in iron deficiency and decrease in iron overload. You can think of this in a similar way to the TSH in thyroid disease where low thyroid means the TSH goes up. Where there's low iron, the total iron binding capacity and the transferrin go up. Transferrin saturation gives a good indication of the total iron in the body. In normal adults, it's around 30%. However, if there's less iron in the body, the transferrin saturation will be lower. The transferrin will be less saturated because there's less iron around. And of course, if there's more iron around and the iron levels go up, then transferrin saturation will go up as well. The transferrin will be more saturated. It can also temporarily increase after a meal that's rich in iron or when somebody's taking iron supplements. So it's important to get a fasting sample for more accurate results. So some quick normal ranges. The normal serum ferritin is between about 40 and 400. The normal serum iron is between about 12 and 30. The total iron binding capacity is usually between 45 and 80. And the transferrin saturation is usually between 15 and 50%. It's worth remembering two things that can increase the value of all of these results and give the impression of iron overload. One is supplementation with iron. So this can always give false positive results. 
and the other is acute liver damage because there's lots of iron stored in the liver and if there's damage to the liver it releases lots of the stored iron. Finally let's talk about management of iron deficiency anemia. Well, new iron deficiency in an adult without a clear cause for example heavy menstruation or pregnancy should be investigated with suspicion and this involves doing an OGD or an endoscopy to look at the stomach and duodenum as well as a colonoscopy to look for cancer of the gastrointestinal tract. Management involves treating the underlying cause and correcting the anemia and the anemia can be treated depending on the severity and symptoms with one of three methods and they range from the fastest to the slowest but also from the most invasive to the least invasive. So the fastest and most invasive way of correcting the anemia is to do a blood transfusion and this will immediately correct the anemia but it doesn't correct the underlying iron deficiency and so they'll once again become anemic if the iron deficiency is not corrected alongside the blood transfusion. It also carries the most risks. The second is to give an iron infusion, for example something called Cosmofer and there is a very small risk of anaphylaxis related to an iron infusion but it's a very effective way of quickly correcting the iron deficiency. You also need to be cautious when the patient has an active infection or sepsis because iron theoretically feeds bacteria and makes the bacteria replicate and become stronger. The third option is oral iron, for example ferrous sulfate 200 milligrams three times a day and this slowly corrects the iron deficiency. One of the issues with oral iron is that it causes some side effects like constipation and black coloured stools. So you need to warn the patient about these potential side effects of constipation and black stools and consider prescribing laxatives. It's also an unsuitable way of replacing the iron where the main problem is malabsorption because if they can't absorb the iron to start with then giving them extra oral iron probably won't help. As a final note, when you're correcting iron deficiency anemia with iron, you can expect the haemoglobin to rise by around 10 grams per litre per week. And of course, you need to follow the patient up to see how their iron deficiency and their anemia is improving over time. So thanks for listening to this episode on iron deficiency anemia. If you found it helpful and you want written notes on this topic and all the other podcast episode topics, then head over to Amazon and pick up a copy of the Zero to Finals Medicine book. It's got detailed and concise notes that are specifically designed to help you get through your exams with all the key facts and guidelines you need. If you don't fancy picking up a copy of the book, you can find all the information on the website in the form of notes, videos, illustrations, questions and a blog completely free with no sign up or having to provide your email address or anything. And that's at zerodefinals.com. And I hope you tune into the next episode, which will be on pernicious anemia.